Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke chapter 24. And we're in a series on Sunday mornings uh, through the book of Revelation. And I'll come back to that great book of the Bible next week. As we, If you've ever been kind of curious about what God has in store for the end of time and God's plan for our long-term future, I want to invite you to come. It's a great book of the Bible. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. I want to ask you to hold your place open, hold your Bible open. We're going to read the beginning of this chapter and then uh, towards the end of this chapter as well. Luke chapter 24, I'll read beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. He told them, Let's oh, skip, excuse me, I'm going to skip all the way to verse 44. So all the way to verse 44. Hold your Bibles open. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Well, I'm going to talk with you this morning on what this means. Why does this story matter so deeply? What does the resurrection mean to us? Why should we care so much about this? Why should this matter so deeply to us. I want you to note four principles. And if you have something to write with, you can write these four principles down. Four short sentences you can follow along. You'll follow along better if you can write those four things down. So number one, it means we have a problem. Did you just note that? We have a problem. So the Bible is telling us here what we need to recognize in, a, in our own lives. We have this problem. And Jesus talks about this. The Bible tells us Jesus was crucified. He stood before Pontius Pilate, tried, sent to the crucifixion, died there on the cross, and now the Saturday has passed, and here they are on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and the women come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, and the angels say to them in verse 5, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. And then they say this, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. It is necessary. Well, why is it necessary? Because we have this terrible problem. And I'll sort of explain it in two ways. First, the Bible is saying 
we can't save ourselves. When Jesus said it is necessary, he's reminding us that his death is the means by which we can have forgiveness of sins, and we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves through good works, and we can't save ourselves through religion. Now, I'm all for you being better. I'm all for you being nicer to your neighbors, nicer to your family. I think that's a good thing. I wish more people would try that. I think it'd be a good suggestion to you to try to be a nicer person. I'd like you to do good things, of course. But the Bible tells us we have a problem in that we can't do enough good things to reach the holiness of God in heaven. That is, we can't self-improve to perfection. Because the Bible tells us we all have this same problem. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all broken. We live in a broken world. We're all broken. And it's not just you. It's every single person in this room, me and you and all around you. We're all broken. We've all gone our own way. We've all rebelled against God. We don't think of it as rebellion. We think of sin as no big deal. But the Bible says sin is a huge deal. It separates us from God who is holy. And because we're not, we cannot save ourselves. We can't be good enough. Did you know you can't even be good enough to get to heaven? You can't be good enough to get to heaven. And the Bible tells us that religion can't save us. And I don't know if you knew this, but I'm a pretty religious guy. I go to church all the time. I'm going to go to church, you know, on a pretty regular basis. I went to both services today for crying out loud. <laughs> pretty religious. But I want you to see it's the difference between a response versus a replacement. For some, religion becomes a replacement for what God wants. God wants you, not just the religious acts that you may have on a Sunday morning. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants the real you, the full you. And he cares about you. You matter to him. But for some, religion just becomes sort of a replacement. We checked the box. We did the right things. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were very religious, and yet Jesus was harsh with them because they knew about God, but they didn't know God. They had the trapping of religion, the shell of the outside, but they didn't know the Lord on the inside. Rightly understood, religion is our response to our relationship with God. That is, because I know God, I do what we call religious things. That's why I go to church, or why I read my Bible, or why I, for that matter, try to do good things. God wants us to respond to Him. When we come to know Christ as Savior, God changes who we are on the inside. And that changes how we act, and how we think, and what we do, and our responses, our activities, of course. But don't miss and think somehow God is just asking you to replace it with of religion because Jesus said it is necessary. That is, his death on the cross, his resurrection is the means by which, the necessary requirement to deal with this problem we have of sin. We can't save ourselves. And notice, secondly, that we have a debt too big to pay. When I say we have a problem, we've got a debt, and it's too big for us to pay. Not just a little small debt, a huge debt. Maybe, you've, maybe you know something about debt. Maybe you've I don't know, you've just uh, been on a, maybe you bought pizza on credit, you just got the credit card out, and you just, you wanted some pizza, and you bought some pizza, and you had a hard time paying for it, and so you built up some debt, you're paying a huge interest, but you might be able to pay that back. Or maybe you went on a trip, and gas prices are sort of high, maybe you've noticed that, and there's a little inflation around, and maybe you've, maybe you bought a few things, went on a trip or something, and but you can pay it back. You say, maybe I'll get a bonus at work, or maybe I can work a little more, or maybe I can get a different job, and maybe I can pay it back. 
I mean, if it's just a, you know, 10 bucks or 100 bucks or 1,000 bucks, maybe you could pay 10,000, maybe 100,000, but at some point, what if it's, uh, what if it's, what if you owe a Google, you know, one with 100 zeros behind it? That's what a Google is. Before it was associated with search engines, it was a mathematical term, one with 100 zeros behind it. If you owed that, you wouldn't think, you know, if I could get a better job or if I got a bonus at work, you'd say there's no hope. It's impossible. It's beyond my ability to pay. Well, the Bible tells us sin is so costly, so damaging. There's no hope for us to pay it. And so Jesus said, it is necessary. Because you'll never pay this debt. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't hope to somehow earn that salvation. Only Jesus can provide it. His Blood on the cross, the only payment. Jesus who lived the perfect life, the only one who's lived the sinless life. The only one who was worthy to die in our place. He paid that debt for us. He paid that debt. And we have this problem too great for us. And so Jesus said, it is necessary. I have a nephew, one of my nephews is in college and he's working, he works at an escape room, an escape room. And it, a room you go into, you get locked in there with some other folks and you try to get some clues and figure things out so that you can get out. And if you don't make it by the time deadline, they let you out. I mean, if they, if they didn't do that, at some point it would be kidnapping, right? I mean, at some point you got to let them out even if they can't figure it out. And some guys can figure it out and some can't. Some follow the clues and some don't. Well, the Bible is saying we have this problem. We are in bondage to sin. It doesn't feel, maybe you don't think of it as bondage. Because it's been marketed to you as, this is great. And if you'll just go the world's way, this will be great. This is what you want. This is what you need. And then you find out that it was all a marketing ploy. And that sin always leads to bondage and to, bondage and to death, to punishment, to separation from God, no matter how it's marketed. And we have this problem. We can't reach God in our own merit. We can't do enough to gain salvation. And Jesus said, it's necessary. I want you to see a second thing. We have a promise. We have a promise. What does this mean? What does the resurrection mean to us? It means we have a promise. I want you to note what the Bible says here in verse 44. We skip to what Jesus said in verse 44. The Bible says, Jesus told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus said, all the law of Moses, that's the first books of the Bible, the book of Genesis that told us, tells us that God made this world, that the world did not, everything did not come from nothing. But someone made this something. It's speaking, it's pointing us to Jesus. Or the Exodus that tells about the bondage of Israel in slavery in Egypt and how God delivered them. That's speaking of Jesus. And the law that's pointing us to our need for grace, how we have this problem that none of us can reach God's standards and that we need God's grace. The law of Moses, Jesus said, that speaks about me. And then he said the prophets, the prophets who are warning the people that if they turn from God, they're going to face disaster, that they're going to be judged by God, that if they will come back to God, God will forgive, who are telling them, warning them about what will happen in the future if they miss God's better plan. Jesus is saying, this is pointing to me. And then the Psalms, 
the Psalms are the Old, that's the Old Testament songbook. And we have the words to those songs. Every generation puts that into their own music, but we have the words of singing praise to the Lord. And Jesus said, this is pointing, those songs in your heart are pointing to me, pointing to me. And so the Bible says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. God wants you to understand the scriptures. He wants you to know the truth. He wants you to recognize his purpose and his plan. He wants you to see that he's got a plan that is good and right and best for you. And that if you'll follow his plan, his better way, that he'll tell you the truth. By the way, the world doesn't care about you learning about the truth. The enemy would just as soon you follow a lie. Just live for yourself and seek what's in it for you. And God said, I've got something so much better for you. It's one of the reasons why we open God's word and we, I'm going to preach from the Bible. We're going to sing about God's word. Our life groups are Bible studies. We're going to encourage people to read the Bible for themselves. I thought of this story recently of a seminary professor I had, a guy named Dr. Toller. And seminary professors, some of them were more dynamic than others. And Dr. Toller was a dynamic seminary professor. He was just a really fun guy to be around, older guy by the time I had him, but really a super guy. And just uh, I loved being around him. I enjoyed his class a good deal. And he was just a neat guy. And he told his testimony one time. So he told the class what had happened in his life. He did not grow up in an active Christian home. He may have gone to church a few times on, on occasion, but he did not grow up hearing about the Bible or about the message of the gospel and didn't really know much of that story. But he was in school, uh, maybe it was, as I recall, like maybe late junior high or early high school, something along those lines. And he was in gym class or PE as we used to call it. And in that class, his teacher just spoke to the class and she was a believer, obviously. She said to the class, I want to encourage you class to do something most college graduates have not done. And Dr. Toller, before he was Dr. Toller, said to himself, well, I'd like to do something most college graduates haven't done. No one in his family had ever gone to college. And he thought, I'd love to do something most college graduates haven't done. And so the teacher said, this is it. She said, read the Bible. Most college graduates have never read the Bible. And so Dr. Toller, before he became Dr. Toller, decided, I'm going to do that. And he got the old family Bible. They didn't use the family Bible, but they had one. And he began to read it. And he read it, and maybe one of the hardest ways to read it, I think just from the Genesis all the way to the end, he just began reading that way. I mean, any way you do it is great, but if, if you're not sure where to start, I'd suggest you start with the New Testament. It's a little shorter. You start with the, maybe one of the Gospels, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read there. Maybe then switch to one of, the, one of the letters or something like that. Read the book of Romans, the story of Acts, the history of the early church. But he, he didn't have anyone to guide him. He just started reading. He read through Genesis and Exodus and on through the law of Moses and into the prophets and through the Psalms. And then he finally got to the New Testament. It just kept going. He got to Matthew that tells the story of Jesus and Mark that tells the story of Jesus and Luke that tells the story of Jesus. And then he came to John. And in John, he was reading along. He got to chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, this guy Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he was trying, he was curious and he was looking. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. He didn't just say, you must try harder, do better. He said, you must be born again. And Dr. Toller, before he became Dr. Toller, said to himself, that's for me. 
I need to be born again. I need a relationship with this God who created the world and who sent his son into this world for me. And he trusted Christ as Savior right there on his own. He repented of his sin. He placed his trust in Jesus who had died for him on the cross and risen from the grave and received Christ as Savior. He got active in church and he went to college and beyond and and preached um, many, many places and taught preachers how to preach. And I just thought, man, the power of God's word to change lives. Maybe you've never read the New Testament. I want to encourage you to read it for yourself. You don't just have to take my word for it. You can read it for yourself. God makes a promise to us. The, the word speaks to Jesus. I want you to see that the resurrection means we have a problem, we have a promise. But thirdly, note, we have a provision. We have a provision. And go with me, please, to verse 46. Jesus said this. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Jesus is saying that the purpose of the Messiah, Jesus being the Messiah, the promise of Scripture that the Messiah would come, that Jesus will suffer and he will rise from the dead. Now he will suffer. He's speaking here of the cross. Jesus went to the cross when he founded the world. When the world was founded, God knew we would have this need. God knew we would have these problems. God knew our brokenness would come. And Christ came into this world headed to the cross. He came into Bethlehem headed to the cross. And the cross conquered sin. Jesus, the only perfect one, the only one who didn't deserve the cross, died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, the only one who did not deserve death, took the death you deserve, your sins, and he took them upon himself on the cross and died in your place. So that the Bible says if you will give your life to Christ, Christ will forgive you, not because you've never sinned, but because Christ paid for that sin on the cross. He took your place. And on the cross, Christ conquered sin. I'll talk the next three weeks in the book of Revelation. As we're going through the book of Revelation, hope you can join me. I'll talk about the, the Bible will describe the lamb who was slain. Speaking of Jesus, describing him like the lamb who was slain. We'll see how significant that is and why that phrase matters and the point that it's making for us. And we'll be reminded of this principle that the cross conquered sin. But notice Jesus said the Messiah will suffer and he will rise from the dead the third day. And it's reminding us that while the cross conquered sin, the resurrection conquered death. It conquered death. I find myself thinking of my father. My father passed away more than 10 years ago now. And I would talk to my dad always about ball games and other issues of life. And I just, I can't, I can't do that now because death has caused a separation. I think about him more now. You sometimes take for granted the things you have in your life when you have them. And hardly... You notice it more sometimes later, and that's the way it's been with my father. Death has been this robber, in a sense, of a relationship. But the Bible tells us because of the resurrection, we have the promise from God that death has been conquered, that those who know Christ as Savior will experience a resurrection and will be with the Lord, that Christ, he promised to us that he's preparing a place in heaven for those who know him as Savior. And the cross and the resurrection teach us, show us that God has provided a means for this problem that we face. That Christ has done something about our condition. The only thing that can be done, 
Christ has paid the penalty for us. Some of you who are old enough will remember, or maybe you remember from history books, the story of this political crisis. Boy, it just seems like so much of my life we've seen political issues and crisis over and over and over. And, and years ago, there was this crisis called Watergate. And uh, during this time, the, there, was a, there was a break-in at the opponent's as the president's, presidential candidates were running for office, a break-in of the opposition and bungled break-in. And, and then the real problem became obstruction of justice and people who were trying to keep people from finding out about it because they thought it could bring embarrassment to the president. And Chuck Colson was a big part of this. Chuck Colson was the special counsel for the president of the United States. And he was the president's favorite, and partly because he was just willing to do whatever he was I mean, he never spoke back to the president. Just whatever the president wanted, he would just do. And he was called the hatchet man. He was just, he was a, a former Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine, I get it. But I mean, he was a, had been active duty Marine and, and then got a law degree, special counsel to the president. And in the course of this, he was, would eventually, eventually be convicted of crime and, and would go to jail by the way, just as he was going through this process, God would use this in his life to soften that hardened heart. Things can get kind of hard in politics and in Marine Corps and in law. And God would soften his heart. And he would come to realize he was a sinner who needed a Savior. And Chuck Colson would repent of his sin and place his faith in Christ. And people thought, well, you know, just a little fad because he's so you know, disappointed about going to prison and for the next decades of life, he started a prison ministry, a ministry to prisoners that's still going on today. It's just been a delight to, for me to see Christ being brought into those difficult circumstances of the prisons all over America. Chuck Olson said this about the resurrection in connection with his, rec his recognition that the resurrection happened in connection with his understanding through Watergate. He said this, he said, I know the resurrection, the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the, of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now listen, if this is true, as the Bible claims it to be true, as I proclaim to you that it is true, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, it changes everything. It means God has provided what our soul needs. God has provided what you need for life in this world and for everlasting life beyond this world. And that Christ has paid the penalty, and you can have new life in him. We have a provision. Number four, would you note we have a power? We have a power. The Bible says in verse 47, Jesus said, Repentance for forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So everyone all over the world is going to hear the message of the gospel starting right here. Well, how? Verse 48, Jesus said, You, he said to those disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And they must have thought, us? We're fishermen and tax collectors? and You're going to entrust us with this message? That's how it's going to happen? And Jesus said, and look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. 
This is reminding us that the early church, isn't an amazing thing, none of those people had power or wealth or privilege or political clout, and yet God would use them to change the world. And it was not because of their abilities, but because of the power of God, of God in them. And he's speaking here of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us when we trust Christ as Savior, who empowers us and strengthens us, and the world was changed. Of all people to use, these apostles, these women who are witnesses to this event, God would use them to change the world because it was God's power, not theirs anyway. And God takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary work through them. It's God's power that works in FBCO. It's not just our talents or abilities or, or winsomeness. It is God at work in us. And if we are to have lasting value, if we're to make a lasting difference, it will be because of the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit who empowers us to share that gospel with others and to make a difference in this world. And it's God's power working in and through you. It's God's power working in and through you. And if you will trust Christ as Savior, God the Holy Spirit will live in you. And he'll strengthen you to be a witness, to overcome your past. Some of you come to this place with pain and problems and difficulties from your past. With some real brokenness. But God is able. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your difficulties. He's bigger than your past. Whatever you brought with you to this place, God is bigger still. And he will work in you and through you and for you to accomplish his purposes. So this day, I want to ask you to get off the, off the, out of the stands, so to speak, of the Christian walk and get on the playing field of serving the Lord and following him and living for him. And God will work in you and through you and for you and with you to accomplish everything he wants to accomplish. And God changed the world with just these few apostles, these few men and women who We're witnesses of the resurrection, and God will change the world through people like us by his power, by his strength, and God wants to change your world and your life and your future, whatever your past, whatever your pain, whatever your problems, because the gospel means we have a power, the power of God working in us, the same resurrection power, the same Jesus who rose and appeared to those disciples all those centuries ago, the same Jesus of today. The same Holy Spirit who worked on in days gone by is the same Holy Spirit who works in this day, who will work in your life to accomplish his purposes. So let's join together in serving him and making a difference in the brief moments God gives us in this world. Will you bow your heads right where you are for a moment? I want to speak to two groups just for a moment. Just bow your head for a moment. Some of you here need to be saved. You need to be born again. God brought you to this place to hear the message of the gospel that you can't be saved by being good enough or religious enough, but by trusting Christ and Christ alone to save you. And so I want to ask you this day to repent of your sin. Acknowledge before God that you've sinned. He knows it. Just acknowledge, admit to God, God, I have sinned against you. You are holy and I'm not. Turn from that sin. Place your trust in Jesus who died on the cross in your place and who rose from the grave for you. Receive him as Savior. Ask him to save you. Right where you are, you can ask him, Lord, I want to turn from my sin. I want to place my trust in you. You died for me. You rose from the grave for me. You can save me. Christ can save you right where you are. I'm going to say a word to those of you who are here, maybe many of you here, here who know Christ as Savior. It's one thing to know about the gospel. It's one thing to know in our heads, to know the 
sort of the truth in our hearts, but it's a, another matter to live it with our lives. And I want to ask you this day, Jesus is alive. That changes everything. Would you say, Lord, I want to live that truth? Not just to know about it, but I want to live it. I want to follow you, your purposes, your plans. You give me the power, you say, from the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit of the book of Acts is the same Holy Spirit we can have today. Lord, I want to follow you. And Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you you tell us the truth. And I thank you for the gospel. I want to thank you you came into this world for us and went to the cross for us and rose from the grave for us. You tell us the truth so that we can hear and learn and listen and follow. And so, Father, I'm praying for people to be saved today. And I'm praying for Christians to get out of the stands, as it were, and get onto the field and join in this great work of the gospel to accomplish your purposes. Work in us and for us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.